Hi, my name is Anne Barrios Ruiz. Last year, I went to pick up my son on May 6th from North Thurston High School. Before that, I hadn't been feeling well. We were driving home. Uh, we were coming home, he was in the back seat, and uh, my vision got really blurry. I heard this bang, and uh, the car stopped, and I had blacked out and hit a truck. Somebody told me, lay down, you know, we still, the ambulance is on its way, don't move, ma'am. And so the first thing I said was, where's my son? Is he okay? He was in the back seat. And they said, yes, ma'am, your son is fine. Um, he's with an officer. And, um, and I was laying there, and as soon as I knew my son was okay, I had this, just this feeling of peace. So the next thing I remember is waking up in the hospital and I was told that I had been in ICU on life support for two days and that I'd had three surgeries. So I ended up being at St. Peter's Hospital for three weeks. There were times when I got discouraged. I mean, the devil just kept throwing things at me. I had to go to Manor Care in Lacey for rehab. And I was there another three weeks. And I know the whole church was praying for me. And thank you so much for doing that. I was gone for six weeks. And my husband took care of everything. He did the laundry. Our son is high functioning, has high functioning autism. And so my husband was there to help him. And when I got home, I had um, support from True Grace. I had support from my family, my friends. And so when I came home from Manor Care, um, my husband hadn't been working because he was taking care of things at home and I wasn't working. And so the devil again kept throwing things in our way. Oh no, we're not gonna be able to pay the rent. We're not gonna be able to pay our bills. Every single time God worked a miracle, like the day before our rent was due, um, all the money would come in and we were able to pay the rent. And God just worked miracle after miracle. And I am so thankful to be alive. And I just thank the Lord that I still had my job and my family, my church family. And I just want to tell my True Grace Church family that never give up on God because He is always there for you. Thank you, Ann, for sharing that story. A lot of us have had a year, but she's had a year. And uh, man, what a year in her life it's been. And I just, every time I hear about somebody having a medical emergency in a car, I think about what she had to endure and go through uh, this last year or so. And so, Ann, thanks for sharing your story. She had to be at work today, but I know she's watching online. So, Ann, thank you so much for encouraging and blessing us by sharing your story. Man, it's good to see you today. You're going to be glad you came to church. And you really are. Um, last week, there was a message about living large versus loving large. And, and the concept was this. Some people can live large. They have a lot of nice stuff, a lot of friends. You know, they just kind of live that high life, living large. And the reality is most of us can't live large and probably shouldn't live large. Um, but the reality is all of us can love large. And isn't there a difference? 
And I pray today that your love for others is deep and abounding and that you love people in grand uh, in grandiose ways in your life, all right? If you have a Bible today, we're going to be Acts chapter 6. We're going to start there. Uh, we're in uh, a series on the book of Acts. And um, when you preach through a book of the Bible, it forces you to preach the Bible. So if you're wondering, if you're new here, do these people believe the Bible? We believe the Bible and we preach it. The Bible comes alive in our church and we try to live it out in our lives. Key word is try. Okay, this half of this room is doing pretty good. This half is struggling and living out the Bible, all right? So um, I'm glad that you're here today. As we sang a song at the beginning of the gathering about making room in my life for the Lord, I just, I want to remind you of this. This is so important. That the reality is, is if you're going to make room for the Lord in your life, your life is probably full. So if you're going to give God his rightful place, you know, centered in your life, then there may be something you have to move out of your life. Most of you can't go buy a new set of living room furniture without getting rid of the old ones, right? And so if the Lord is going to take his rightful place, the center of your life, then maybe something has to be removed so you can make room for God to be at the center of your life. And if that's for you, I hope that you think about that. Honestly, stop. Is there anything in my life? That needs to be taken out so there's more time, energy, and focus on what really matters most, my relationship with God. So hopefully that's something for somebody here today, all right? The message title is The Applause of Heaven, and we'll get to that and understand that more as we go. Here we go. I want to start off with this verse because this verse is going to kind of set us up for the man's life that we're talking about today. So John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies... It remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Death brings life. Isn't that true of Jesus? When he died on the cross, his death brought us life. And it's also true of the man's life that we're talking about today. We're talking about a guy named Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen is known for this. Like, what is his claim to fame? He's the first martyr in the church. And we kind of go, oh, what a great man of God. Gave up his life, died for his faith. I'm going to tell you something. That they came to me and they said, okay, which role do you want? Do you want to be the first martyr? I'd say no. Pastor Dave would be great at that, all right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't want to give up my life. I don't want to die for my faith. But what Jesus says is so powerful. It's when that seed it, it dies in the ground, it produces many more. It's kind of like a dandelion. You know, if you had a dandelion in your yard and you went and you picked that dandelion up and you're like, I killed it, I uprooted that weed, and then you, you blew those little seeds all over the yard, you really wouldn't be doing the, the, the greatest job, right? You'd be blowing all those seeds into your yard and it would be a worse problem. Well, this is what happens to the devil, right? So the, the, the scripture says in the book of Acts that Stephen is killed and it looks like a victory for evil for those who oppose Christ. But when that happens, the church is set on fire because the persecution disperses the church to all these other cities. And so his death brings life to the masses. Incredible what his life stood for. People sometimes go, yeah, why do bad things happen to good people? I just want to scream, yes, bad things happen to good people all the time. Bad things happen to Jesus. Bad things happen to Stephen. Like John the Baptist had his head cut off and he was in the will of God. Bad things happen to, pe to people who follow the Lord all the time, to good people. Uh, the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust and the Pacific Northwest continually in this life. And it'll happen in, in your life and in mine. But the reality is this. We can say, Lord, take my life and let the pain in my life bring about fruits. And perhaps even death could bring life in your life as well. 
Jesus went on to say this. He said, those who live their life uh, in this or love their life in this world, they will lose it. But he said, those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Uh, According to Jesus, this life is the preparation for eternity. This isn't the main thing. In fact, you don't have to agree with Jesus. Uh, You can live uh, for this world. You can love the things of this world. You can live for the applause of mankind, and many people do. You can live for the applause of your peers. But according to Jesus, those who choose to lose their life for him, those who hear his voice, those who follow his teaching, those who recognize that this life isn't all that there is, uh, they will lose their life in this world, but they will keep it for all eternity. And it's the wiser way to live. Jesus said, and it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them said this. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your way, take up your cross, and follow me. I love that verse except for the part that says give up your way. I don't want to give up my way. And the reality is is you don't want to give up your way either. I know there's some holier-than-thou person here who's just like, oh, pastor, I just love to give up my way for everybody else. I'm just, I'm just so humble. I just want God's help. The reality is this, that we're humans, and we don't want to give up our way. We like our way. We like our plans for our lives. And we have to stop and say, is it going to be my life, my plan, or am I going to let God's plan happen in my life? And I'll say it again, God's plan is always better than your plan for your life. I'll say that the rest of my life. Listen, my plan for my life is like my golf drive. It ends up in the weeds in the pond somewhere. My plan is it's supposed to land on the green, but it doesn't, right? God has a better plan for your life than you do, even you do. So what have you decided? If you've decided to follow Jesus, that means that he's the center of your life. And listen, in your life, everything revolves around your faith. Everything in your life revolves around Jesus because you've made him the center of your life. For most of us, as we live our lives, everything revolves around us. I'm the center of my universe. And, and a believer in Jesus, a Christ follower, changes all that. What's fascinating is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, there's this Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus teaches this incredible sermon. I mean, just all these different topics and blows everybody away. And at the very end of it, he says the most important thing of all. He says, now listen, if you don't put any of my words into practice, you just wasted your whole afternoon being here. Because if you just hear about it, but you don't have to put it in practice, it doesn't do anything for you. It's like somebody who built their house on the sand. It was kind of worthless. And so he says, you have to put my words into practice. So in our church, we're trying to be people who actually put the words of God into practice in our lives. And it's not always easy. So here's one of those guys who does that, who decides, you know what, I'm going to really give up my life. I'm going to center my life around the Lord, and I'm going to follow his teachings in my life, and it's going to change how I live, all right? So here we go, Acts chapter 6. Stephen is the man we're talking about, Acts chapter 6. He's one of the seven uh, that are chosen to help the disciples when they were overwhelmed with their tasks. And it says this in verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people, and then but one day. Let me just take you those two words. He's full of God's grace. He's full of God's power. In fact, if we were to go up into uh, chapter 6, when they picked him to be one of the seven, it says that, that Stephen was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. This guy is filled with faith. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with God's grace, and he's filled with power. This is a pretty incredible guy, this man Stephen. And God has an incredible plan for his life. It's not an easy plan. But God uses him mightily. And this is what it says. I, my, one of my favorite parts of this text is this. It simply is, but one day. 
This incredible guy is filled with, the, with faith and he's filled with the spirit of God. But one day, how many know trouble's coming when you see that verse, that we see those lines? No matter how great you are, how much you love God, how much you love people, there, there's trouble that's coming in your life. Um, it's almost like living in 21st century America. There is division coming. There is problems coming somewhere. Um, in this particular passage of scripture, some people come to debate with him. They come to argue with him. And the reality is, in the world that we live in today, there is no shortage of division, disunity, and arguing that happens all the time. Uh, there was one church where um, this person was there, and he couldn't get along with anybody else, didn't like the songs, didn't like to have to uh, help others or serve others or, or you know, be a part of things. And so he decided to find his own seat in the church, so they provided one for him. Here it is, right there. And when you don't feel like turning to your neighbor, you get your own pew in the church, right? <laughs> division is everywhere, and it's... It's hard to understand and it's hard to work on. But listen, if you can't get along with other humans, you won't be able to get along with the family of God either. We have to learn how to have a spirit of unity in, in a time of disunity and disagreement all across our world. So our abilities to divide ourselves as humans seem to have no bound. And some men came to debate with him on this very important topic of Jesus. Right? Remember the Jews of that day, many of them were still rejecting Jesus and didn't like that Stephen and others were proclaiming him. So it says, verse 10, none of these people who came to debate him could stand up against his wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. I want to remind you of this, that Stephen wasn't powerful because of the way he talked. He wasn't powerful because he was sarcastic or smug, you know, anything like that. It wasn't his great background, his great knowledge and education. He was, he was powerful because of God's spirit and wisdom in him. Paul said, I pray that my preaching would not be with wives and persuasive words of a man, but with the Spirit's power in me, the Spirit of God in him. And so they couldn't stand up against the wisdom and the Spirit in Stephen as he was uh, speaking to them. So here we go, verses 11 through 14. This is what it says. So these men persuaded some other men to lie about Stephen, and they said, we've heard that he's blaspheming Moses and even God. They roused the people and the elders and the teachers of the religious law, so they arrested Stephen, brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said this, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. And we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? Look what they say. They said, it's really this. They lied about him. They arrested him. They charged him in front of a crowd and they accused him against speaking against the holy temple and the law of Moses. Man, this is like right out of the playbook of how are we going to attack Jesus 101, isn't it? If it's working, don't change the formula. And so G Stephen is, is thrown in front of a crowd. He's threatened, intimidated. He's full of God's grace. He's full of God's power. He's done miraculous signs. He's full of wisdom. But like Jesus, they persuaded men to speak against him. Let me remind you of this. And don't forget, the devil is always looking to bring down a man of God. The devil is always looking to bring down a woman of God. Do you know that? Man, a priest, a pastor, a missionary, or someone in true grace that's trying to follow Jesus. It's really interesting that Jesus goes, actually tells us, your enemy, uh, the devil, seeks to have you or, or is looking. He's like a roaring lion seeking to those he may devour. And we kind of go, I don't have an enemy. Like, Jesus says you have an enemy. He says the devil is your enemy. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says you need the, the, the shield of faith. 
And people walking around shieldless like, I don't need a shield of faith. Like, well, if you're living for God, you sure need the shield of faith, right? You're in a battle. And, and, and half the church doesn't know they're in a battle. This is hilarious. This is, this is tragic in a way. The devil is always looking to bring people down, the opportunities to separate people from the church, to attack someone like Stephen. The verbal attack, attack begins first before the physical attack begins. What's fascinating is as these guys throw Stephen in front of them and they grill him and they're threatening him, in verse 15, there's this really strange phenomenon, this really strange scripture. I honestly don't know if I understand it yet. But this is what it says. It says, at this point in the attack, uh, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. What are we supposed to do with that? What exactly does that mean? My, my first and best guess goes back to Moses when he was meeting with God on the mountain. And the, the scripture says, when Moses came down from meeting with God, his face was so bright he had to wear a veil because he was actually blinding people because he glowed because of the presence of God upon him. And listen, I, I want to say this. I think it's, it's, it's a big thing to say. But I don't think that Stephen was not just near to God. I think Stephen was near to heaven. I think his minutes were numbered. He is so near to heaven. And the presence of God is upon his life. His face is even glowing as he um, speaks to the people. Wow. So chapter 7 it says that somebody said to him, uh, are these accusations cr true? The, the high priest asked this question. I don't know if it's sincere or if they're just trying to trap him and cause more trouble. But what's, what, what happens here is that Stephen takes the next two verses, two through 50, right? He takes the next 49 verses and he talks about the history of the people of God. I don't know if he's hoping that they fall asleep. And I, you know, I think what he's doing is he's building a rapport with the people, and he's looking at his brothers and sisters and these Jewish uh, brothers and sisters. And this is what he says. He talks about Abraham. He talks about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and how the people rejected uh, God and they worshiped idols because they preferred a, an idol that they could see over a God that they couldn't see. And he talks about the building of the temple. And the whole time he's doing that, you could just almost see people like, yeah, he's one of us. He understands our history. He believes everything that's in the scripture about Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Jacob, Moses, all that. He's there. He's building this rapport. And you can almost see him saying, yeah, we all know this. We all agree about this. And Stephen's saying, we're on the same team here, guys. We are all awaiting the Messiah. We are all looking to get, to get through this life and live the life that God wants for us. This is our history and we share it. And then he starts talking about Moses, and it's going to get uncomfortable. And he said, this is the same Moses whom they had rejected with their words. Who made you ruler and judge? The people of God were being led by Moses. God called him to be the deliverer, lead us, to lead the people out of Egypt. And the people were saying, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be the ruler and, and deliverer by God himself. Listen, humans have this incredible ability to say, no one's going to tell me what to do. Moses, who made you ruler and judge? And I think Moses would say, I'm God, and I didn't want to be the ruler and judge because of people like you, right? Every church, uh, even church people are often unruly, unruly. And, and here's the question. Some people can't be led by others, and I hope you're not one of them. It sounds really spiritual to say God is my only leader, and I only, I only, I only follow him, but it's not biblical. The Bible says God raises up leaders, 
And, and we're to follow those leaders in our lives. In fact, God might choose you. Say, I want you to be a leader so other people can follow you. I hope that you're a person who can follow others in this life. Stephen wasn't trying to rule them. Uh, he wasn't trying to tell them what to do. His influence was not based on his title or position, but on the power and the wisdom of his words. And Stephen says this, our, our fathers refused to obey him. God raised up Moses. He was to be our leader. We were to submit to him. He was the deliverer. But our, our, our fathers refused to obey him. In their flesh, they rejected him. It was hard to, to live out the life that God was uh, bringing Moses to lead them out of. So instead, they rejected him, and their hearts turned back to Egypt. And church, we got to pause and ask this question. Maybe you, outwardly you haven't, but maybe your heart has turned back. Maybe you have found the road that God has for you in faith to be too difficult, and the world that you live in to be too full of strife, and inside you've turned back. Maybe even people around you don't even fully recognize it yet. Have you turned back in your heart? Listen, don't give up. God is always moving. His promises always come true. He's always bringing his plan to fruition. He's always doing a new thing. And change is hard and pain is hard. But it's part of faith and it's part of life. People long for the prison they know over the freedom that they don't know. Let's don't let our hearts turn back. And then Stephen gets really real, and there's a sudden shift. And all of a sudden, the prophetic bent comes out in him, and, and he says something that you look at, and you go, Stephen, I'm not sure that was wise. All right, here's what he says. He's looking at the people and says, hey, we rejected Moses when God chose him to be our deliverer, and we complained and criticized instead of following. But here we go, even worse, verse, verse 51. You stubborn people, Stephen says, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? He's going full Joyce Meyer at this point on him. All right, then he says, that's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Imagine this moment where, where Stephen's looking up, they're accusing him, and he turns it back on them, and he's one, and they're, they're huge. And he says, listen, you stubborn people, you are heathen, you're unbelievers at your heart. Deep inside, you're unbelievers, and you're deaf to the truth. You must, how, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? And we have to stop and ask that question, is there any part of you that's resisting the Holy Spirit's work in your life? Lord, I want all of your Holy Spirit in my life, and if I'm resisting in any way, I want your plan. And he says, that's what your ancestors did to the prophets, to Moses, and that's what you're doing today. You are opposing God's servant, Jesus. Wow. I'm not sure that's going to go over real well in that moment. Listen, followers of Jesus are continually called to take a stand. I think if some of us were standing in front of that crowd, we would have cowered easily. Stephen had already made a decision. This life is not the life. It's just the pre-life. And so whatever happens to me here, I've made the Lord center of my life. My faith is centered. I'm ready for eternity. You got to make that decision now, not when you're standing in front of a group of accusers. And he had. So what's the response by the religious leaders of the day? Verse 54 says, the Jewish leaders were infuriated infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. How dare you? How dare you speak to us like this? But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing, standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Suddenly, like Stephen's seeing something that nobody else is seeing. 
Something supernatural is happening in this moment to this man. And maybe he thinks that they all see it, but they don't see it. Full of the Holy Spirit, he looks up towards heaven and he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 56, and he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And all those who opposed him said, oh, we're wrong. I guess Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, no, it didn't happen like that, right? Verse 57 happens here and it happens later in the book of Acts. Verse 57, how do they respond to, to this man saying, I can see Jesus standing at the right hand of God? It says, they put their hands over their ears and began shouting and they rushed at him. It'd be immature if it wasn't such a violent moment as his death began to happen. They covered their ears and they ran at him. You know, it's fascinating. In Acts chapter 22, the Apostle Paul, who had been Saul, who had persecuted the church, is standing in front of a group of people. And that man says to the group of people something that they don't want to hear. And they scream out in front of Paul, the apostle who loves Jesus. They raised their voices and they shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live, this man, Paul, that used to be Saul. But you know, if you backed up to this moment, when Stephen is the one that they're trying to rid the earth of, this is what it says. How ironic, tragic, and powerful is this? His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. He's the accuser. He's overseeing Stephen's martyrdom with that religious pride. But as God deals with him and calls him, one day he's not the one overseeing the martyrdom. He's the man in the hole that they're throwing rocks at, saying, rid the earth of him. Jesus even gets a hold of a man's heart like Saul. Powerful moment. Verses 59 and 60. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. How much more like Jesus can we get in our death? Listen, Stephen was not on some kind of death wish. I don't think Stephen's saying, I don't want to see my kids, my grandkids. I don't want to live any more days in this life. I don't think that was his plan. But he wasn't foolish either. He was full of wisdom. So what he said to them was wise. The scripture says that they couldn't stand against him because of the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. So it wasn't that he was unwise. He was in the center of God's will in this moment where he spoke up and it led to his death. His death impacted this man Saul and his death impacted thousands, tens of thousands, perhaps millions as his seed was destroyed but planted many other seeds. As the persecution broke out on the church and they fled from one city to the next and they kept sharing the gospel wherever they went, the devil kept persecuting and the word of God kept spreading. But I want to remind you of this. Because listen, a, a life well lived does not demand a peaceful death. And sometimes we get that wrong. Well, how come my dad died this tragic death? 
How come grandma was so labored at her end of her years? How come this person's life strung out so long? Why did they have to die in such a horrific way? Listen, a life well lived does not demand a peaceful death. Not with Jesus, not with John the Baptist, not with Stephen, not with Paul, probably not with some of your relatives, and it may not happen for you. We have a friend from college, a couple friends, they married each other. Last Sunday, we got word that at 5 a.m., she was found dead in her sleep. Uh, three teenage girls um, on a girl's trip with their mom, and one of them found that mom had died. And it just, she's in her 40s. What do you mean she just suddenly died? A life well lived does not demand a peaceful death. In fact, if anything, we live for the Lord every day because we don't know how many days we have. And maybe you've watched some people die a not so peaceful death, or you've seen tragedies. Don't mix up death with a celebration of an incredible life. Incredible life. Not every incredible life has an incredible death. Sometimes it's just ugly and hard. The persecution that spread like wildfire that started that day with the stoning of Stephen. His death sparked uh, the church. It was a fuse. His death was a fuse that lit the powder keg of the early church. Incredible moment. And Stephen looks towards heaven. And let me take you back to that scripture in verse 55 because there's something that sometimes we haven't seen and we don't really notice. But it says, Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gazed steadily into heaven. He saw what others didn't see and he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus. What's this word? He saw Jesus standing. But wait a minute, the Bible says that Jesus was sitting. Every single time the Bible talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God and in the place of honor of God's right hand. Let's go to the next one. And it says this, verse 56. It says, and he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the, standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Can you imagine the Savior of the world being brought to his feet as Stephen is brought home? Can you imagine Are you living your life in such a way that brings Jesus to his feet? Jesus stood, watch this, because this man decided, I want the applause of heaven, not the applause of my peers. I don't care if people don't like me. I don't care if the gospel is offensive. I'm pleasing the Lord with my life, not all these yahoos, right? What a moment. The Lord himself stands and welcomes Stephen to his eternal home. Sir, is there something for us to learn from this man's life? This man, Stephen, an example to you and to me. I'm going to ask you if you bow your heads for a moment and just listen for the Holy Spirit. You don't need everybody to like you. You don't need everybody's approval. You need God's approval. He loves you. He knows all your sin. He accepts you as you are and he helps you to make changes. I want to ask you this question. Are you living for the applause of heaven? Do the threats of this world intimidate you? Do you need to be liked by others? Have you let the hardships 
weak in your faith. Man, today's the day to change that. Today's the day to be re-inspired and reinvigorated, to give up your own way, to take up your cross and live out your purpose. Maybe your life and maybe your death will live on and impact countless others. Maybe you will face unfair hardships. Maybe the devil's looking to bring you down. Maybe you haven't outwardly stopped serving God, but in your heart you want to turn back. Maybe you're just angry and frustrated at all the politics, the pandemic, and all the stuff that's happened, even things you disagree with in church. And it's just soured your faith. Don't let it. Be a voice of unity. Be a person who stands for truth. Live for the applause of heaven. Don't turn back. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Take a stand and be who God's created you to be. Be who God's created you to be. And I don't know that you'd probably say it, but what if Jesus welcomed you home? I don't know if he'll stand to his feet for you and for me, but this life, according to Jesus, is just preparing you for eternity. So are you willing to give up your way, your understanding, your plans, and instead follow Jesus? I want to remind you of something in the message. Maybe you're here today and the, the death of someone you love has been especially hard. It's okay. I'm sorry. And maybe your death is not going to be what you want it to be. You don't get to control that, but you get to control the way you live. And not, only, not every well-lived life dies in a peaceful death. So if you're here today and God is speaking to you, can I pray for you? In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you would say, Pastor, I'm inspired by what Stephen did, and I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me, reminding me, maybe rebuking me, challenging me, talking to me today, and I'm so glad that God is here and God is real, and I'm responding back to him. Lord, I need you in my life. If you're here today and God is speaking to you, we just stand to your feet all across this room. I'm responding to the Lord. I feel like the, the Holy Spirit is ministering to me. Go ahead. Anybody else want to join us? Praise God. I'm going to pray in just a moment. Anybody else want to stand? You can stand at home if you want to as well.
Lord, a life of faith is so hard. It's so hard to make you the center of everything in my life, in the world that I live in. And Lord, in my flesh, I don't like pain. I don't like suffering. I don't want hardship. I want to understand everything. But Lord, if you will come in and transform me and if you will bring wisdom to me all the days of my life. Jesus, I want you to be center. And I want to be filled with the Spirit. And I want to be filled with wisdom. God, today we pray, Lord, that we'd be people that could stand for you and live for you and if called upon even one day to die for you. But to not be halfway. Lord, help us to see things that not everybody sees. Help us, Lord, to walk in faith, real, genuine faith, and to honor you. Lord, I pray that our faith would bring a smile to your face. And you could look upon us and say, there's one who's giving up their way. And they're applying the teachings. And they're living for the Lord. God, inspire us today, speak to us today, challenge us today, and don't leave us the same. We don't wanna resist your Holy Spirit, we don't wanna turn back. God, lead us into the future that you have for each one of us to fully know and serve you. Make us followers of Jesus in truth and grace. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Man, aren't you glad you came to church today? God is good, God is here. People getting baptized, Women's Conference Friday. There's a lot of good things going on. Listen, make sure that your faith isn't staying inside of you. It's spilling on your family, your friends. You're having spiritual conversations, and you're focused on what really matters most in this life, eternity and Jesus. Man, God bless you. I hope something great happens to you this week. I hope you get good news today. Be a blessing to somebody around you. Have a great week.